0: This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them.
1: And hello, this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, uh, brought to you by Rob and Mob. I'm Rob, and I'm Mob, Michael O'Brien, and Robert Love. I think I said that. And we are coming from beautiful Blackburn South in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, not quite so beautiful today. It's a bit overcast. It's a bit gloomy today, yes. But we have four seasons in one day here in Melbourne. F- four seasons in one day, as uh, the crew of the uh, Shenandoah no doubt discovered when they uh, when they came to Melbourne. I think when when. Uh when the Shenandoah comes to Melbourne we'll have a segment in our podcast called The Weather A Hundred and Fifty Years Ago Today. And I, I think that is just going to be champagne podcasting. Do you I absolutely agree. It'll it'll be in the middle of summer. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh,
0: traditionally it will be uh, bright and sunny and hot, but who knows because but, yes. we're in Melbourne.
1: Yes, yes, who knows. And uh, so a bit overcast and rainy in uh, Blackburn South today, and um, uh, we've shut the, the curtains to uh, to keep out the chirping of our chickens and also to keep out the sight. And one of our lovely chickens has just taken a spectacularly large crap, to be blunt. there's it as was- an egg rub, it'd be a double <laughs> yoker. <laughs> it was, yes, it was a... So, uh, yes, the curtains are shut to, uh, you know, so that we do not have to see that. And luckily, due to the miracle of radio, you don't have to see that either. Now, this now this is this is a big week, big week for the Shenandoah, 150 years ago today. Um, yes, um, Cap- ca- Lieutenant Commanding, uh, Captain Waddell has taken command of the Shenandoah. And commissioned uh, it. It's now called it. the Shenandoah. It's not the Sea King anymore. He's now called the Shenandoah. um he has something of a crew although um uh, rather unusually for a warship or indeed any sort of ship the officers actually outnumber the other ranks now um we're going to get along on to um uh this is oh no this is the the, the even numbered fourth episode of our podcast it is. um so we'll um, I think we'll we're no longer a trilogy rob <laughs> we are no longer a trilogy we are we're getting into GRR Martin territory, although Wilder, we'll, uh, end that was over sixty episodes, and not as many uh, major characters die in this too. No, no. In fact, yes, very, very few, mate. But yeah. spoilers, spoilers. Let, let's not let's not get a, ahead of ourselves. In fact, I think one of our standard segments should just be let's not get ahead of ourselves because uh, we do it every single week. But Michael, now can you give it as a quick pricey uh, of the story so far? So the
0: story so far is that the Confederate government sent out a number of commerce raiders to capture Union flag ships and destroy maritime shipping,
1: drove up the price of uh, insurance for uh, Union ships dramatically. Uh, From, I believe, uh, half a percent for insurance at the start of the Civil War to 8% insurance companies trying to cash in on on
0: misfortune what a a surprise (laughs) so there were a number of very successful ships there was in particular the alabama under the gallant captain Semmes, who captured a large number of ships about 70 of them they were hoping the shenandoah could emulate this at a at a a later stage in the war so the, the shenandoah had set off under its previous name the sea king from london and off the coast of Funchal in Madeira, it met a ship that had come out from Liverpool containing the officers and a whole lot of equipment which had been mysteriously marked
1: machinery. machinery. yes, yes. I don't, they, think, I don't think arms dealers have changed, illicit arms dealers have changed their, uh, their, their, their. Probably not. So they went
0: off then to a uh, desert island which is called Desertus. Lost Desertus, <laughs> yes. And there uh, trans- trans- um, form, uh, sorry, transferred all the equipment from the Laurel onto the Shenandoah. Yeah, I- at, at that point, though, and this is where we got to last week, yep. Rob, the captain of the Shenandoah, Waddell, tried to encourage as many of the people that had come on, come on the Laurel and the existing crew that were on the Sea King to then join them on this journey
1: around the world as Confederate raiders. And how did that go? Well, almost to a man, they said, sod off. And even when uh, Waddell brought out a bucket of sovereigns... He played his trump card, yes. pulled out the the bucket of sobs and ran his fingers through it. Yes, and let them see the glittering shower of gold, and still almost all of them said... No, we're not interested, Uh, and in fact a lot of them, especially the ones who had come out on the Sea King, uh, got very angry because they thought that they'd come out under a... Uh, under false, pretenses. they'd
0: been lured under false pretences because they had
1: because they had.
0: So uh, it would have been particularly crushing and galling from for him to, to have this happen to him because what was the similar circumstance when
1: Captain Sims tried this well, with the Alabama about eighteen months earlier? Yeah, well, now, admittedly, this this is I believe uh, from Sims uh, from Sims' memoirs. Um Sims had a similar situation um, where he made an appeal to a uh, a whole bunch of of foreign sailors um he met, and there were 90 of them on this occasion and was managed to recruit 80 of them and uh, in his memoirs, Sim says that that was the first and last democratic moment aboard the Alabama. From that <laughs> moment on, when he said "Squat," uh, people people said "How low, sir." So, basically, uh, for Waddell to manage to recruit, there, there are varying accounts, but you know, not around ten. Eight no, to ten seemed to be to the ten. number, and one of those was the Cabin Boy. Yes. I
0: understand that some of the Confederate sailors that came out on the laurel
1: also had a change of heart. Well, I have to say, I've, now, I've um, through the courtesy of, uh, of Amazon, um, I've recently uh, got uh, another another of the more recent uh, books. Now, I'm doing the traditional holding of the source up to the microphone. Oh, yes. And uh, r- riffling the pages. Now, this is Tom Chaffin. And his Sea of Grey, The Around the World Odyssey of the Confederate Raider Shenandoah. Now this only turned up a couple of days ago, so I haven't finished it, but I, I I have to say I think that this is um this is an excellent book. It's chock full of facts and uh we'll be drawing heavily from it today. I think um Angus Curry's "Officers of the CSN Shenandoah," I think we're going to be using a lot throughout uh, because that is more focusing on the people. But um, but Chaffin has some 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 excellent uh, stuff. And one of the things Chaffin says that we haven't found in any, in any other source is that um, he asserts that Waddell, that. The Shenandoah did not even manage to recruit all of their hand-picked Confederate seamen. So people who had been on the Alabama with Sebs got onto the Sea King and apparently some of them just said, no, take me back to Blighty. I've had enough war, which is not exactly a ringing endorsement. Of, that's, uh, that's a bit crushing.
0: So when, when the Shenandoah finally got underway, there were
1: slightly more officers than men i believe there were 24 officers and 21 men 20 i've also heard 24 to 22 but i have to say i think i think the figures for for the number of crew in the early days are a bit rubbery uh, probably because they they were in fact um so so very very low um, now look, we're, 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 we're well into the podcast and we haven't done our, our by now traditional, um, errors, omissions and attributions. Oh, we do that. Although then. we did kind of skip to it because, uh, we've, uh, I've already talked about Tom Chaffin's Sea of Grey, so there's the, the attributions out of the way. What about the errors, Rob? Well, I, look, there weren't any errors, but there were a couple of things last week that, um, were perhaps differently right. Um, I think last week, um, I said that, uh, Captain Corbett. I didn't give Captain Corbett's name. Now, Captain Corbett was the English sea captain who actually sailed the Sea King out of harbour, except he had a secret commission to from uh, from Mister Bullock, the uh, Confederate mastermind in Liverpool, to sell the Sea King to whoever he might find, basically. whoever he just happened to run across <laughs> he might at run. a remote deserted island in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> well, that, yes, what a coincidence! That's about that. For the sum of forty-five thousand pounds. Now that is, um, that's a hefty sum. That was a hefty sum, and um, th- yes. So, so forty-five thousand pounds sterling. Um, this was
0: a brand new ship, or it, it was was only what it had done one journey. I believe it, it had
1: done one journey, so it had been um, it had been broken. In. It had had, it had its had, shakedown cruise. It had had its shakedown cruise, and also. Um, The fit-out for that one journey um, had been actually extraordinarily convenient for the Confederates' purposes in some degrees um, because the English government had hired the Shenandoah as a troop ship to take troops out to suppress uh, the Maori Rebellion in New Zealand. And I, I think at, at a later point, perhaps when uh, the Shenandoah gets closer to New Zealand, we might do a bit of investigation and see if there's any New Zealand sources uh, about uh, the oh, suppression, idea, yeah. suppression of that rebellion. I know that there was a movie uh, made a few years ago about the Maori Rebellion, so we, we might we might dig that out and um, and uh, see if... Uh, do you we, think the haka was ever performed on the <laughs> Picks of the Sea King? <laughs> Well, we, we could we could we could try and find that out, um, but so because the, the English government had hired uh, the ship for that journey, they had specified that they wanted um, changes made to the tween decks to give a very spacious cabin because troops were going to be sleeping there. And obviously, if you're intending to go out and to sink the New England whaling fleet, then you would have to, especially in the Arctic, then um, by the laws of the sea, you would have to make provision for prisoners, uh, and so you would have to have a, a big deck. Now, the... Um, for a couple of these episodes so far, I think for all of them, we've had kind of crew member of the week. In in, in the first week, it wasn't a crew member as such. It was uh, Mr Bullock. Um, uh, second uh, second week, we had uh, Captain Weddell, and last week with Mr Whittle. But I think... Um, the first might,
0: officer, Mr Whittle. The first,
1: first executive officer or first officer, Mr Whittle. But I think for this one, um, we might actually, because there's some fascinating details in, in Sea of Grey uh, about the Shenandoah, um, so I think I think I might uh, go uh, go into a bit about uh, what I learned from there, and I think then you can you can. This isn't a, an error or omission on our part, but there is a considerable lack of agreement in all of the sources about the actual armament of the, of the ship. You'd kind of think, given that it's a it's a warship, <laughs> that
0: that's one of the details that they'd uh, hopefully get right, but in fact every every source that we've read has pretty much given us a different answer we're going to eventually decide which one we're going to definitively go go forward with for uh, our own narrative purposes but yes the 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 difference is quite something All the sources do agree on another very important fact, though, Rob. Yes. And that is that the ship had three flush toilets. Yes,
1: yes. Well, well. (laughs) Uh, none of the sources,
0: none of the sources say two or four. They all say three. There were three patent and crappers on board, uh, I believe for the exclusive use of the officers.
1: Yes. Now, these were brand new. They they were painted and flush toilets. Um, So the Shenandoah did not have the traditional heads, which I think were basically a hole in the side of the ship where basically you, you sat on deck and you did your business which basically um uh, I'm, I'm sorry we've got a we've got a theme after what happened with the chickens but uh but but the shenandoah did not have that the shenandoah had uh three flash toilets but they were for the use of the officers um so presumably um and Mr Chaffin uh, makes this deduction. So presumably the the the, 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 the ranking men um, they either used a bucket or they went went over the side as Jack Tars have done since time immemorial. But I think it says something that that you would build a ship for a crew of hundred and fifty with three toilets. And I think I think where do we Oh it,
0: and then and then make sure that ninety um, percent of them aren't allowed to use that toilet too, don't forget.
1: That's, that's, yes, that's that's exactly right. So um, we might we might just go into some of the various um, descriptions of the armaments. So the the now the Osprey book now because the Osprey books are basically um, they do a lot of these naval history books. We're, we're inclined to say for the Osprey uh, that, um, that that's the that, that's, that's uh, the one that uh, it doesn't sadly
0: have a a diagram of the shenandoah it does have one of the the alabama presses
1: yes the alabama a lovely cutaway diagram
0: yes but it it gives as yeah. the armament for the shenandoah it says that it has one 84 pound gun which must have been a whopper two 32 pound guns and
1: two 24 pound guns well uh, an 84 pound gun sounds absolutely insane i think i think there were uh you know there were, there were there were cruisers in in the second World War that, that weren't firing that that weight of shell
0: well yes, because in uh, some of the other sources say that uh, it was it was an eight inch gun, yes, and that is something that you were seeing on uh, dreadnoughts and so on uh, at the end of the nineteenth and early 20th century and
1: these were rifled guns as yes, well so, that, so, you so you could they fire would fire be them fire them long distances fire them long distances um, so now, now murray morgan in confederate raider he says that it had six 68 pound guns yeah that, 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 that's a big difference that, that's enough to seek the entire us fleet provided of course the entire us fleet didn't fight back <laughs> but it's, it's well, that's an essential issue that we need
0: to uh, discuss in more detail later yes uh Tom Chaffin's book, on the other hand, says that it had two 32-pound guns and it had the two eight-inch um, oh sorry, four eight-inch rifled
1: guns. Yes, we we should we shouldn't maybe try to find a source that will tell us um, what, what weight of shell an eight-inch gun would have fired. But even so, um Chaffin has said that the the eight inches are different from the 32-inch guns. Uh, now now part of the reason that This confusion might have arisen. Um.
0: There's there's one more, too. Uh, Last Flag Down, which is by Baldwin and Powers, another recent book. It also says that the ship had two cannons and Uh. makes a big deal in uh, a couple of points where because they were so ill-balanced and cumbersome, it was causing problems with the way the ship was rolling. And there's only two cannons. Yes. Uh, Cyril Pearl's book, I remember... (laughs) It said that it had two of these Whitworth rifled cannons
1: and a six-pound signal gun. Yeah, well, well, look, pretty much... okay. now everybody agrees that they disagree absolutely on the number of actual cannon that they had, but everybody says that they had the standard um, merchantman armament. Um, So a a merchantman, um, presumably to stop then as now, stop you being harassed by pirates off the coast of Africa, uh, would have two 12-pound guns Mm -hmm. um but generally um they were were ceremonial and um i believe the shenandoah only had one or two actual real rounds of shot for these guns and that was a shame and a box of blanks and a box and a box of blanks and that was a shame because one the other thing that all the sources do agree is that none of the very hefty amount of cannons that the shenandoah uh, carried none of them could actually be fired uh, because the the Shenan- for a start the Shenandoah was a clipper um, built for speed, so her her timbers, her, her her deck work was not in any way built for those sorts of guns. And secondly, in all of the the fuss about leaving Liverpool, because yeah you know, they 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 were they were thinking that at any moment that they might be rumbled, they'd be rumbled, they'd yes, rumbled. Um, they had left the blocks and the tackles behind that were essential to actually. Mount the guns on the deck
0: otherwise if you fired them they'd become and this is where the phrase loose cannon <laughs> yeah. come from yes yes exactly as they'd be uh, careening all over the ship the the interesting thing about these uh, <coughs> rifled guns is these are the latest in military technology yes yes these aren't the old things where you put a cannonball in the muzzle and yes. uh, fired away these were rifled guns that could shoot a great distance. They were the latest in technology, and they were being put into the Shenandoah, which was also the latest in technology. The problem is, it'd be a bit like putting a tank turret on a Maserati. Yes! Yes. Two technologies that aren't necessarily designed to go with each other.
1: Yes. And, and, um... So... Uh... (coughs) Now, it must have been fairly dispiriting for poor Captain Waddell, who was already rather dispirited. Um, in the first two or three days of his command, he already had people like Midshipman Mason uh, and um, and Surgeon uh, Lining uh, in their diaries, questioning his courage. Uh, you know, but that, that can't be good if you're the captain. That,
0: that's pretty... And, and there was also the humiliating situation where they decided that they were ready to get underway. The laurel was steamy, had already steamed off with the various sailors, including some of the Confederate sailors who didn't want to join this venture. And to get underway, you actually have to weigh anchor. Yes. And that was done in the old-fashioned way of putting some uh, crewmen around the capstan and uh, no doubt singing a sea shanty as they did it. Yes. You then wind the capstan in and pull up the anchor. And what they discovered is... They didn't have enough crewmen to pull up the anchor. To pull up their own anchor, yes. So the
1: officers had to join in and help. Yeah, officers were not used to working with the men. Well, they they?
0: weren't even used to sharing the same toilet, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So that that was a fairly dispiriting start. And uh, unlike Sims, who, uh, after he'd got his crew on board, democracy and equality obviously disappeared... Uh, if you're having everyone going around the captain together, that's 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 not setting off in the same sort of way, is it? No. Oh, another another interesting thing about the Alabama, of course, is it was designed as a warship. Yes. When they sat down and drew up its plans, it was designed to take eighty-six pound guns, so that when you fired them, the timbers wouldn't
1: uh, shake, rattle, and crack. Yes. Yes. So apparently, uh, so. Um, last last week we pretty much covered um, up to the twenty first of october eighteen sixty four so uh, you know the the ship was underway and they spent the first uh, two or three days um, of the last week one hundred and fifty years ago uh, they managed to get the to fake that the guns they had the guns on deck they cut holes in the side because People needed to be able to see the guns. You know, there's no point having Quaker cannons, as the term is for a gun that looks impressive but can't actually be shot. Because, of course, the uh, the Quakers are, are pacifist. Uh, but there's no point having Quaker cannons unless people can see your Quaker cannon. So they managed to rig up something to have the, the guns actually on deck. Now, they certainly couldn't be fired. but. Without the correct block and tackle, it actually would have been very dangerous to even have them on deck because they wouldn't have had the weight of rope to keep them there if there was going to be any sort of storm. And spoilers, there's going to be some storms coming up, so it would have been a distinctly, uh, distinctly fraught situation. Particularly if you're undermanned. Yes, you're also on board uh,
0: to take the um, sports car metaphor a bit further. Clippers and extreme clippers were temperamental things to handle, and needed uh, highly skilled crews. And
1: this was their first cruise. Yes, and they were seriously undermanned. They were seriously undermanned. Uh, now, now, mind you, uh, because the Shenandoah was the the latest and greatest in uh, in clipper technology, um, there, there were some things that that, that helped. Um, uh, Waddell handled the ship even with a very small crew.
0: So, so for 45,000 pounds, you n- you don't only just get flush toilets, what else do you get? Right?
1: Well, well, no, you, you got flush toilets, you did not get any furniture. The Sea King came unfurnished, uh, which, which is why, uh, when eventually the, the, the Shenandoah did start uh, taking some prizes, one of the, yeah, the, the Union sailors were very surprised to see that all of their furniture was stolen. Uh, but, um, from uh, this is again. This is from uh, Tom Chaffin. Um, the now, now the Shenandoah, or the Sea King as it then was, was built by Alexander Stevens, um, a, a very well-known um, firm of uh, shipmakers on the Clyde, mm-hmm. uh, the traditional shipbuilding uh, centre of Scotland. I believe I, I looked up Alexander Stevens, the company um, last. Last year, and I, I think they're actually operating until quite recently they, um, they, they they went out of business i think when, when the Clyde went out of business um, around the 1970s so they' lasted a few more years um, than um, uh, then probably some of the uh, some of the the ships that uh, were sunk in the, um, in the Falklands War might have been built there, but uh, but that didn't happen but um, now the, the Sea king was actually designed by William Rennie, who was is a, a very famous uh, ship. Naval uh, naval designer, so it was the absolute latest greatest thing, and as a part of that, it had Cunningham's patent self reefing topsails. Wow. So
0: presumably that means if you have a self-reefing topsail. Yes. It means you don't have to send people up into the tops as no, so uh, often.
1: Uh, no. well, uh, or at all. Because uh, basically, um, you could do uh, what I believe uh, you do now. If you're, if you're on, uh, mind you, there aren't any huge sailing ships now. But of course, you no longer have to send people up the, up the mast to, uh, to reef the topsails. Now you have a system of lines that allows you to do it. Like Venetian blinds, it allows you to do it from the deck. And this was a brand new thing in the, in the 1860s and uh it was really very lucky for captain waddell that it had these patent self-reefing topsails because otherwise uh, he wouldn't have been able to actually sail the ship he simply wouldn't he barely had enough people to put up the sails even with these patent self-reefing topsails right. um but this this did to to some degree to some degree help but there were some problems um now the, the Shenandoah was what they called an auxiliary steamship, mean, meaning that it was a full a full it had a full ship's rig, uh which I, I can feel an error and amendment coming next week, but I'll plough on. <laughs> which means, I believe, that it has a full three masts. Uh, yeah, yes. It, it might have an extra bow spit or something coming out. Um, I I just I could I could feel the wrong in everything I'm saying, so I might just stop there. But anyway, it had a full ship's rig, but it also had a two hundred horsepower um Uh, steam 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 motor
0: and uh unlike some ships from just a little bit earlier it didn't have the
1: side wheel paddles no no it had a screw a propeller yes now again the this this was this was the latest greatest thing in um uh at this period um but And and that meant that the Shenandoah could go at nine knots under steam, or quite a lot more than that under sail. Now, that actually gave uh, the Shenandoah a lot of advantages, except that the men that they had, they had very few. I believe they only had five people with any steam experience, and basically that meaning um, coal shoveling. Uh, Because coal shoveling, it it was the dirtiest, most horrible job on a steamship. And it was also a job that you couldn't throw somebody in there who'd never done it before because they would be useless. So in the early days of the, um, in in the first week of the Shenandoah's cruise, um, Waddell was in an absolute bind. He needed to take a prize to... um, uh, to get to, some furniture, to get some furniture, to get some block and tackle, to to get some some stuff to to allow him to continue and to rouse
0: the spirits of the men, uh,
1: and to rouse the spirits of the men. But he could only steam at half speed because that was. The man, he only had enough men to get enough coal into the, into the boilers to, to go at half speed. He possibly needed to take a price to get a few more shovels too. Yeah. Yeah. That's something yeah. we could try and investigate. He may, he may well have been out of shovels, so he, he was not in a good place. Um, and there were some other issues with the fact that, um, so, so the Shenandoah was an auxiliary steamship. Now, apparently, according to Chapman, only 200 of those were ever made. The Shenandoah was also a composite ship and um a composite ship meaning that the beams in the Shenandoah were made of steel so um they weren't the old hearts of oak that um uh, the ships only only 30 or 40 years before um were built entirely of oak um the <clears throat> the most famous, uh, the, there was a competition recently in England for the, for the best loved English painting, and it was the Fighting Temeraire, which is Turner's amazing painting of uh, a steamship, a paddle wheel steamship, um, taking the Temeraire, which was a, uh, a, a ship that had fought with great distinction at the Battle of Trafalgar, um, taking it off to be broken up because it, th- the end of its life, because it come. was because yeah. the a- th- that
0: age of sail was over. <laughs> that
1: age of sail was over, but. Um, that, that was in the late 1830s, so that was only 20 years uh, before the Shenandoah. So the Shenandoah was a composite ship, so it had beams of steel, <coughs> but the, the decking and the, the the side of the ship were of, of, of teak and uh, painted a very fetching black uh, just, just before the, the voyage. Now, the advantage of steel, you wouldn't actually think this, but <coughs> for the same strength, steel is actually lighter than, mm-hmm. than, than wood. So that, it, really? it, that 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 sounds, you know, that sounds unintuitive, but I guess that there's, I, I think, it and of course they're smaller. So um, you had a stronger ship for, without having to have huge, massive beams. And so that also meant that you had uh, more space, more space inside. Um, but one of the problems with that was that um, because, uh, the, again, the Shenandoah was a, was a new ship, uh, she was a wet ship. Uh, once water got on deck... Um, now you've done some research that there were solid sides it did have it
0: it its sides uh lacked sufficient openings. Yes, as
1: in the side above the the deck.
0: Above the deck. So in heavy heavy swells a lot of water would come onto the deck and find it difficult to find its way off. Yes, it it found it difficult
1: to find its way off which meant that it would find its way through Um, and so the poor officers and men in their hammocks or their little cabins or or lack thereof until they got some furniture (laughs) until they got some furniture would be lying in bed and find a spray coming through the walls or coming through the roofs and drenching them she was a wet ship she was what a wet they ship. would say yes, yes yes that was and uh, there were some, also some other things that really just made her very unsuited to be a warship uh the boiler was above the water line and apparently this is this is an absolute no-no because it means that any stray shot you get from any um any enemy uh can um can hit your boiler and uh, boilers have a bad habit when they boilers in in those days basically had a bit of a, a reputation for exploding well, uh, at the best of times. As we talked
0: about last week, remember Whittle was on board uh, the Mississippi, I believe it was called, and its boiler exploded, yes. yeah. and, and a whole lot of the crew got scalded to death, which Sco- really does not sound like fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, so if, if the shrapnel doesn't tear through you, the boiling water would scald you. The
0: Shenandoah also had a problem early on in the piece, and I think they solved this later, when they didn't have a magazine to put all the ammunition, Yes, yes. and so it it was
1: put in the captain's cabin, Well, I I know, well he's the captain's second cabin, because the captain had two cabins. And yes, and Waddell remarks in his, in his memoirs rather dryly, did this not give me a warm feeling? As in, yes, I can imagine. So... um they didn't have a magazine. They spent the the first week uh, trying to to get their their magazine together so that the the captain was not you know lulled off to sleep by the thought of uh, hundreds of pounds of gunpowder uh, next door. Hopefully, he didn't you know light his pipe when he uh, the first thing when he got up in the morning. or something. Y- yes. Oh, well, well, that's the other thing. Until they managed to get a magazine, the crew and the officers were forbidden from smoking, and that, that would have been cruel. That that would not have been good for morale and. Um, yeah. Now, uh, again, so, we, we, I think we've basically introduced the Shenandoah as a character here. And again, I must say, um, Tom Chaffin gives some, some wonderful details of the Shenandoah. And, um, if, if, if you're, if you're interested at all, Sea of Grey, Around the World Odyssey at the Confederate Raiders, Shenandoah by Tom Chaffin. It was published in 2006. Uh, and it's, uh, well worth a look. Now, now, there are two more things we have to cover. Um, First of all, Sims had no use for democracy aboard his boat, but Mm. in the first few days of the cruise, Waddell made, I think, an almost fatal error. Uh, Waddell got very despondent um, when he realised that the ship was not really in any fit way to sail. So what did he suggest more? He suggested that they run away and hide for a bit. (laughs) Yes, he actually had a council of all of his officers, and he debated whether they should run to Tenerife and try and get some more men and get some block and tackles and all that sort of stuff. And and how did that go down with his? That went down like a lead
0: balloon. Like a lead balloon. Like a like. Yeah, that was that was not not a popular move. These the, the people that had decided that they were going to go on this gallant adventure, they wanted to go on the gallant yes, adventure. Yes, they wanted to capture some ships, and in fact. Whether they had block or tackle or not was kind of irrelevant in one sense because they really couldn't fire their guns anyway. Anyway, Yes. And if they ever came in contact with a real Union warship, there'd be no way known that they could go head to head. Yes. So So, uh, Waddell was actually probably being uh, prudent and sensible. But uh, the younger, the younger, more excited heads uh, prevail. Such
1: as Midshipman Mason and Surgeon Lining, although what a surgeon was doing, um, you know, criticising his captain, I don't know. I think that's, that's... Yes. Maturin wouldn't have done that.
0: No, no. But uh, Dr. McCoy always did in Star oh, Trek. Yes. So, so there you go. <laughs> so, no, in so in fact, uh, I think Waddell was, was chagrined and shamed into uh, into giving up the idea of going back and seeing if they could
1: refit again. So off they went. Off they went. And so it, it's fair to say that the, the first week of the cruise was not going well for uh, for poor Captain Waddell. Now, we, we're going to wrap up, up shortly, but um, just, just make a couple more points. Um, another reason that Waddell was desperate for a prize was that um, the Whalers basically um, had a, a practice of applied socialism um, where Whalers... Whenever a whaler met another whaler, they would get together and they would talk about where the where the bowhead whale was hanging out these days. Because probably because the bowhead whales did not like being harpooned and killed, um, they used to change their migratory patterns. They weren't always and where they'd been the year before. It's a big ocean, so and and the whalers so the whalers across the world shared knowledge of, of where the whales were. So in order to find the whaling fleet, because it's, it's a big planet, um, you know, but basically, you know, Waddell had an expectation that they might be in the Arctic or they might be near New Zealand, but that's a long way away from off the coast of Africa where he currently was. So basically in order to catch some whalers, he had to catch a whaler. Now we might we might just finish up shortly, but at the end of the the first week's cruising um, at half speed with uh, you know men working working themselves half to death, finally uh, the crew saw their first sail and dammy, if it's a demi if, it, if it, they instantly look at, took one look at this ship and said that's Yankee built because apparently if you if you're in the trade you can tell these things. Mm-hmm. And they said, is this going to be our first prize? They sent off a boarding party of six to go and board this Yankee ship. And demand to see its papers. And demand to see its papers. And the, um, the captain of this ship, with um, uh, what was no doubt a rather smug grin, handed over the papers it was a Yankee ship, but it was one of the Yankee ships that had been sold into British hands because of the depredations of the commerce raiders. And the massive insurance increases. Yes, and the massive insurance increases, yes, up to eight percent. So uh the, the boarding party of six and I think that happened on the twenty ninth of um October eighteen sixty four. So we're uh, we are doing this podcast on the twenty ninth of october twenty fourteen. So the poor old boarding party came back and they Waddell were they were despondent and Waddell whose nails were no doubt bitten down to the quick still in search of his press prize but at least by this stage they had built a magazine so the gunpowder was no longer in his cabin and the men could smoke and i'm sure they they lit up their pipes with great gratitude so on that note um we will finish this episode and next week Will they get their first prize? dum 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 Okay, well, that was great. Thanks, Rob, and yes. we will see you all next week. This okay. is Mob, Michael O'Brien, saying goodbye for now. Rob, Robert Love, saying goodbye. This has been another, but even-numbered, fourth episode of Shenandoah Down Under, Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, and we'll be seeing you next week.